0: Welcome to the Lot Carry Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goldley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School, and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, he's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Jesse T. Williams, Jr., Senior Pastor of Convent Avenue Baptist Church in New York, New York.
1: We're thankful to be in conversation with Dr. Jesse T. Williams, Jr., the pastor of the Convent Avenue Baptist Church in Harlem, New York. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast, Dr. Williams.
2: Thank you so much, glad to be here, glad to be a part of it.
1: Well, you've been a team leader for a journey we've been on with a number of pastors and I've heard wonderful things about your team of millennial and zennial pastors with whom you've been on journey. And in our pilgrimages of striving and thriving, We've been using the metaphor of a tree. Sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are full blooms, sometimes leaves are falling away, sometimes there are only branches, but still the tree can be healthy and thriving. Can you describe for us what flourishing in ministry looks like to you?
2: Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, it depends on the the context and the timing of ministry, uh, as your question intimates, there are uh, different seasons of ministry. And I've seen uh, different seasons during my ministry. There's, you know, for lack of better terminology, winter, spring, summer, and fall uh, in, uh, in, in ministry. And so uh, I would agree that it's about uh, thriving uh, in ministry. Uh, but I would add another one. It's also surviving in ministry. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about that in our group that, um, you know, there are some pastors who are just kind of trying to survive and hold things together and keep it going. And um, we know and believe that things will turn around uh, at some point, but uh, there are difficult days that pastors are going through particularly now during the pandemic. And so uh, to me, uh, flourishing in ministry, it, it's not always about the leaves on the tree. It's not always about the flowers in bloom. Sometimes it's about the uh, seeds that you're planting and the, um, the different uh, seasons, even in a season where there's no visible evidence of uh, flourishing there's still flourishing happening as long as there are seeds being planted and the planter is uh, surviving and has enough strength to uh, find the seed, get the seed and put the seed in the ground. And so um, I've just always had this uh, notion that uh, God blesses us with the seasons where we're able to see the blossoming and the flourishing. Uh, But in the times where uh, there's not as much to look at and see and celebrate. Uh, we're, we're, we're still thankful to God because um, God helps us to survive to see a, another day. And so any, any pastor who's doing that in any of the four seasons, I try to encourage and, and also try to encourage myself to uh, know and believe that um, there's flourishing happening whether I can see it instantaneously or whether I won't see it for another six months or a year, or if the next pastor who follows me will be the one to see it, that's still flourishing to me. And so um, whenever we're exercising our gifts in ministry, whenever we're putting them to use the best we can and in the most faithful way that we can, that's
1: flourishing to me. What are some of the things that people need to do if they're going to hang on uh, and have a chance uh, to to see some new season or if they're just going to hang on? What are some practices that people need to think about?
2: That's a really good question. I I would start with, of course, a a personal faith commitment on behalf of the the pastor, uh, a relationship with God and a clear sense of calling, and what it is we are called to to do, and how uh, for me personally, it's all it's also been this acknowledgement that my ministry belongs to God, that uh, that God called me, and that that um, that my ministry uh, belongs to to the Lord, and wherever the Lord sends me, and wherever the Lord has me. Um, that it's incumbent upon me to, to receive um, his uh, sovereignty in that kind of uh, discussion. Uh, getting past that, the, the new one, perhaps, I don't know if I'm ahead of the conversation, but I'll drop it in here now for free. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the newest gift is, um, or skill is adaptability for me. Uh, it's adaptability or the new buzzword. I was just uh, talking with my wife about this. One of the new buzzwords in businesses and organizations now is agility or the ability to be agile or flexible. And uh, uh, adaptability is the word that I have uh, uh, kind of embraced in my own ministry. So uh, in order to survive in, in the context where we are now, Uh, with all that's going on in the world, and with the (laughs) built-in struggles that there are in pastoral ministry. We have to be adaptable. We have to, when our context changes, we have to be willing to uh, be agile and flexible enough to adapt our approach in ministry and our methodology to where it can be effective again that's a shift for the church. And it's a shift for us as preachers and pastors because uh, seemingly for a lot of years in um, both among both laity and clergy, we have prided ourselves on our ability to resist adapting and resist shifting and embracing orthodoxy. However, we define it and defying anything or anybody else to uh, lead us toward toward change or seeing it differently, but uh, in this particular season, and I I think it's really been true in all seasons of ministry. We we just haven't seen it. The pandemic magnified it and and brought it to the forefront for us to where we've we've had to uh, face it face to face. But you know, we've got to, we have to be able to adapt in order to survive. Otherwise we, we won't remain relevant. And in many ways we won't remain faithful. And so there's been a real, uh, tearing down of, of some of the, uh, principles that we've embraced, um, prior to now, or years leading up to now that, uh, I think are necessary for us to survive. So I, I, I would say that um, you know a personal faith commitment and uh, a strong sense of your calling, uh, a, the ability to adapt and be agile, and um, I guess the f- a fourth I would add is um, what I call pastoral love for people that uh, I, I think clergy have to. Uh, And pastors have to love people. Love has to be the compulsion for what we do over and above everything. And and love has a way of driving you to the point where you will do what you need to do to survive and be faithful in surviving, but you'll do it with the right ethic because there are ways to survive that are not necessarily moral or ethical. Uh, but love is what, what tempers our morality and our ethics to the place uh, where we will survive and survive um, in the right way.
1: I'd like to uh, shift our direction just a little bit now uh, to talk about what we've been um, experimenting with uh, and seeing how it fits with uh, pastors who are on our pilgrimages, where we talk about our formula for flourishing
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, and that formula as you know holds that when a pastor's leadership capacity plus service context yields the ministry content there's a higher probability for flourishing can you talk uh to us a little about how your context of service is informing your content of ministry,
2: yes, absolutely. Um, I, I and I actually think it informs both uh, the con. The context informs my content and my capacity as well, because uh, I I think you know. Of course, one of the things that has happened is the context has forced me to stretch my capacity uh, and and to learn new things. Uh, to figure out, in terms of my personal capacity, things that I didn't know or didn't have a clue about. I've had to read up on them, study them, et cetera, uh, and uh, stretch myself in some sometimes uncomfortable ways. And so uh, the, the context has changed me and my capacity. And what I found out is that as my capacity shifts, and I think we, we've talked about this in uh, previous weeks, that as my capacity shifts, it does change the content of what's coming forth out of me in terms of leadership of convent. And uh, that and then affects the membership and expands their uh, capacity and content in terms of what they're willing to receive and how they're they're willing to get it. I mean, we're, uh, one of the dominant uh, things about the context now today is, is of course the pandemic and it's, it's stretched all of us. It's stretched our capacity and uh, it, has, it has shifted the way content is delivered. Um, a, a lot of the things are, are the same but we're certainly seeing content in a, in a different way in some ways as well because of the means and methods that we're uh, having to use to communicate them. And so, um, yeah, I think uh, the context is, is everything. And uh, for me, uh, my context has stretched me, uh, stretched me moving from St. Louis to uh, New York City in Harlem. Uh, it's, 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 so it's stretched me uh, culturally in some ways Uh, In many ways, it has stretched me um, uh, intellectually and in a scholarly way in terms of my content. Uh, It has stretched me socially, theologically, uh, as my context shifted between the two congregations that I have pastored. And so, and I think it's a good thing. It is a a good thing that that has happened. And... uh, So every now and then I'll go back and I'll look at sermons I preached from my first congregation. And and then I'll, you know, look at the content of sermons that I've preached uh, in New York now. And there's uh, growth, thank God. (laughs) And there's a shift uh, uh, sometimes in the uh, the content, in the theology, in the argument, and in the way that that I uh, would communicate it or express it. Uh, in style and in substance. And I, I think that's a good thing, but I, I, I think if a, if a pastor is paying close attention to his or her context, uh, as there is a shift, we must shift because uh, there's no monolithic way of uh, doing ministry or pastoring. There's no cookie cutter way. While there are some things that may be uh, non-negotiable in terms of theology and doctrine Uh, as it comes to uh, our style and substance a style or the way we uh, deliver things, um, we have to shift in this present age.
1: Can you think of maybe uh, one way that something about the context of New York that is different than the context of St. Louis and how that might have pulled out of you caused you to lean in in a different way?
2: Yes, uh, oh, absolutely. There are numbers, but the first one that jumps to mind is uh, New York is a cultural melting pot. So uh, I, I really, really was informed about uh, and learned what the real meaning of multicultural ministry is uh, in terms of uh, neighborhoods and the city and Harlem. Uh, Harlem, you know, when people hear Harlem, they they think about um, you know African Americans and the Harlem Renaissance, et cetera. But most people don't know Harlem uh, is now fifty four percent white <laughs> in its makeup, and uh, and another significant uh, another significant demographic is, of course, the uh, Hispanic and Latino population in Harlem, and so. Um, it, you know, it was an awakening to me to come. And I remember looking out over convent on a Sunday morning after being there a few years and saying, I'm, I'm pastoring a multicultural church in, in every sense of the word and figuring out what that means. I was raised and uh, nurtured in the, the black Baptist church tradition. And um, so that's where my roots are. Uh, and that was what my first congregation was really like, and I know you know a little bit about St. Louis. St. Louis is one of the more racially divided cities in the country, and so coming to New York was, uh, it was a revelation to me to see uh, the the multicultural nature of the community and the church, because on any given Sunday, I I was looking at, while still primarily African-Americans, I was looking at Um, uh, white members of the church who came regularly and consistently as well as um, Latino and Hispanic members of the church that were joining the church and came consistently. And so that made me have to rethink uh, a lot of the ways that I do things, the way I preach, the way I teach, the way I uh, present worship uh, in a lot of different ways in order to adjust to my context.
0: A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carry Global Christian Missional Community has helped
2: churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed.
0: Welcome back to the Lot Cary Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Cary's Thriving in Ministry program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Rev. Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. Jesse T. Williams, Jr., Senior Pastor of Convent Avenue Baptist Church in New York, New York.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how the capacity of a pastor contributes to the ministry of that pastor?
2: When I think capacity, I think about the, the natural God-given gifts that all of us have. But in addition to that, it is the, the pursuit of uh, other educational opportunities or knowledge or training that we may need in order to be well-equipped for wherever it is that God sends us. And so there are, there are some gifts uh, that we all have in ministry. Uh, and every pastor can't do everything. And uh, so a, a, a part of uh, pastoral wisdom regarding capacity is understanding where my limitations are and, uh, and trying to then surround myself within the church with either clergy or laity uh, with people who are, are strong or have strengths in areas that I'm not able to do. The capacity that you that a person has with their God-given gifts, I would say this: it requires courage uh, to be able to step out and uh, allow your voice and your gifts uh, to be actively at work in the church. And that doesn't always just necessarily naturally happen. Sometimes you have to have courage to to do that, and maybe that's a part of thriving as well. I think. Uh, last time we talked in our group, we did talk about courage and, and the courage that it takes to uh, to exercise one's capacity. But then if if uh, if a pastor, if he or she realizes that they lack capacity in an area that their context or the congregation needs, uh, I think that's where you have to, again, have the courage to pursue Uh, theological education, training, uh, uh, whatever uh, degree, if it may be a degree, uh, theological degree, we have to pursue them in order to help ourselves be, uh, to expand our capacity. Now, I'm not saying that seminary did everything for me, uh, but seminary gave me the tools to find out what I didn't know, and if I didn't know it, seminary gave me the tools to to figure out how to obtain it and and how to incorporate it in a theologically responsible way. And so maybe this is my uh, uh, commercial for pursuing theological education uh, of at least the master of divinity level at an accredited, an ATS accredited seminary and or going beyond, a, uh, beyond the master's to a, a D-Men or a PhD or an EdD. But I don't, I don't think it's possible for a pastor to have too much education. I think the more education we have in this present age, given uh, the nature of the people in our congregations, the better off we have. And, and people in our congregations respect that um, enlarged capacity that comes from getting a theological education.
1: Can you tell us about an area of leadership where you have had to develop as a pastor? You've had to be intentional about expanding your capacity.
2: Well, part of it is uh, the first one I mentioned about being multicultural. So I I won't uh, utilize that one again, but, um, Uh, The other piece is probably the church administration piece for me that I had to be very intentional about. I I went from having uh, uh, three people on payroll at my first church other than me to uh, a church that had over 40 people on payroll. Uh, I was thrust into an administrative responsibility that uh, was challenged at first. Uh, and for me to number one, just get the lay of the land and understand who's who and who does what and how it all works together. And, uh, and then to be able to envision how can we do this better uh, and to involve uh, people in the process as well as uh, being comfortable delegating. My first career was I was a manager and engineer for a a major Fortune 500 company. So I had some administrative background and I had some administrative um, backbone (laughs) and I had some administrative, uh, you know, uh, fortitude uh, from working in a Fortune 500 company and I needed every bit of it in the church as well. So, uh, you know, it was, but you know, it it, uh, it it leads me to this this uh, notion of what I call hidden or untapped capacity that pastors have, and 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 pastors sometimes have a capacity that is untapped. Like I I hadn't, you know, I was in church. I'm leading God's people. Glory, hallelujah, and uh, all of that. So I wasn't thinking I had to revert back to my days in corporate America. I I thought I was able to leave some of that behind, but lo and behold, uh, I I needed some of that capacity.
1: Wonderful. So you've been a pastor for some decades. Uh, What brings you the most joy as a pastor and has that evolved over time? I would
2: say two things. Number one, when I see people quote unquote, get it, <laughs> where they get it. And um, and by getting it, I mean, uh, they go through the thought process and the transition of knowing that this is God's mission, this is God's work, this is God's ministry, and it is bigger than just our own individual stories. So I, I think of it that um, you know everybody has three levels of story that we live under. One is the me story. That's the, the smallest uh, uh, shell of the egg. And that's about me, me, me and what I think and how I think it should be. And then for me, the second shell of the egg is the we and us story that I understand that I'm not the only one in the world that that I'm in relationship with my neighbor and covenant with people. And then for me, there's what's called the story. And and that is God's story. And that is the story that, uh, that God is in the process of working out in God's mission. And when I, uh, as a pastor, look and listen to people uh, and uh, hear them talk and watch them live and watch them work, and they get it, and they get that and they understand what mission is that is that's priceless to me the other is of course to see people's lives transformed uh by the by the gospel of jesus christ uh in whatever way it is when to to see people liberated to see uh uh economic uh oppression and uh the prison industrial complex and to see people's lives shifted and changed from what they they used to be is just uh it's it's you know i i can't explain uh those kinds of um feelings that i get uh when somebody's life is helped and uh changed for the better forever and uh So when that type of salvation and liberation comes to people and and people see it and receive it and acknowledge it, that is, uh, I think, the essence of um, of mission. And it's the essence of who we are. Let me add a third one. Uh, And that is that um, uh, when I see the gospel lived out in word and deed globally, when, when it, it goes beyond just my community and the United States of America, but that uh, the mission field is the whole world and that the gospel goes there in meaningful ways and makes a difference in people's lives around the world. Uh, I would add that one as well. Being the good Lot Carey family member that
1: I am. and leader that you (laughs) are. Hey, what's the the best advice that you received about pastoral leadership?
2: I would say, number one, love the people, no matter what, no matter how they act, no matter how they treat you, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, a pastor has to love the people that he or she serves. Number two, I would say, don't be afraid that this is Allah Jeremiah. Don't be afraid of their faces, uh, stand faithful, be steadfast, be the preacher and teacher of the gospel in season and out of season that God has called you to be. And, uh, and uh, third, I would say be prayerful, have a prayer life that is meaningful Uh, and a prayer life that um, is regular and consistent because you're going to need it.
1: Before we sign off today, what advice would you like to give our listeners, either pastors who are currently pastoring or people who are aspiring to be pastors or people who may not long to do the traditional pastoral route, but they know that their lives uh, our call to ministry is vocation. What kind of advice would you like to give?
2: Don't ever quit. Be faithful in what God has called you to do. Do it with all of your energy, them, vigor, and vitality. When you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, when you're, when you're tired, when you're weary, when you feel like you can't go any further, go further and lean on the strength that comes from God. Uh, And and trust God with the outcomes. Trust God with uh, the measurables and the deliverables. Trust God with them. Do your best. Do your best. Do not quit. Stretch yourself. Stretch your capacity. Uh, Have courage to go further and go out of your comfort zone for God. That is part of what faith is. And God always honors faith and faithfulness.
1: Dr. Jesse T. Williams, Jr., pastor of the Convent Avenue Baptist Church in Harlem, New York. Pastor Williams, thanks for sharing your wisdom and your time, and thanks for your ministry, both in New York and around the world. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, listen online at lotcarry.org.